So we are so glad you're here. We are going to have some serious, serious fun today, and I'm so glad that you are here, a part of that. Uh, you remember those uh, great Ronco inventions, those infomercials like the uh, pocket fisherman? Remember that? Or what about the uh, great-looking hair formula number nine? I love it. It says, the babes are back. You just get that spray hair in a can and spray it on, cover up that bald spot. Or the Vegematic. Remember that? Or the Dalmatic. Now, the Dalmatic, it was set, said that it could cut a tomato so thin that it only had one side. Yeah, I didn't quite get it either, but that's what they said. What about the Mr. Microphone? You remember that? Now, I thought I had a Mr. Microphone until that uh, picture was brought up. It's like, no, I didn't have it. It was actually my sister's, but she would let me use it. And I think it was actually a uh, Donia Marie uh, microphone. Or oh, we'd actually seen Donia Marie together, you know, because he was a little bit rock and roll and she was a little bit country, you know. So that kind of tells you my age range of when I grew up. But nothing compares to their number one seller worldwide, and they sold 8 million units in the United States alone, profiting $1 billion, and it's right there, the Ronco Showtime Rotisserie and Barbecue, where you can set it and forget it. Exactly. Set it and forget it. You know, unfortunately, though, the, the great inventor of, of all these wonderful things sold the company, and things went tragically went downhill. According to a 2015 consumer complaint, more like set it and fire, because they set it and then came back. Glad they remembered. They came back and found their kitchen engulfed in flames. They were able to put the fire out. But they said more like set it and fire. So set it and forget it can be hazardous to your safety. Set it and forget it can be hazardous to your faith. That's what it looks like. This set it and forget it mentality towards our faith happens when a person wants to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they're baptized. And then they're set. Sometimes you don't even see them again. They think, okay, I'm set. And so forget all about growing in the faith. Forget about pursuing things like righteousness and holiness. Forget about the joyful necessity of serving God by serving others. And what happens is that other things start taking precedence and they forget about the necessity of joining together with other believers. And as a result, their faith either completely fades away or it becomes weak, immature, has very little depth, leaving them vulnerable being taken. Today we're talking about all about Jesus, how not to be taken. We're going to talk about a particular set of skills that if you put into practice, that it will keep you from being taken. 
Scripture says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. It comes from the book of Colossians. We've been in the book of Colossians now, and we're starting around uh, Colossians chapter 2, where we're going to look at verses 6 through 8. You might remember that in the New Testament book of Colossians, the Holy Spirit is writing through the Apostle Paul, and he really can't say enough good things about the church in Colossae. It's a great church, a well-disciplined church, very firm in their faith. And yet, this is the second time now here in verse 8, and it happens in verse 1, that he warns them about the people who want to denigrate and downplay Jesus Christ, who want to get them worshiping other things under the sun except Jesus Christ. Warning them about being taken. So it lets us know that no one is immune to this. False teachers abound. They're being deceptive, saying, sure, you need Jesus and this. Whatever this is. Or they're downplay or denigrate Jesus so much that after a while, he doesn't mean so much. So we can replace him with something else. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends upon human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. How not to be taken. I was almost taken once as a first grader. I went to St. Leo's Catholic School in Versailles. A little first grader, I missed the bus. And so, here in the, in the school building, and it's kind of weird, but I remember no other adults were around. And I thought that my sister was in, her, in the stamp club meeting in the building outside, kind of next door. They have like a campus there. Well, they did back when I was in first grade. And so I went out and walked to that building and went inside and, you know, my sister wasn't there and I came outside and then this car pulls up. Two strangers get out and they say, we'll take you to your dad. Come with us. Now, I was brought up on reading that little golden book, Never Talk to Strangers. And so I, I didn't go with them. And I went back to the inside the school. Now, apparently my sister, uh, who's several years older than me, that uh, riding the bus home, she saw my uncle, Uncle Bobby, who was the chief of police at that time, and she stuck her, her head outside the bus window and said, Uncle Bobby Lane missed the bus. And so he got done directing traffic or whatever he was doing, and he came to get me. And he told my mom, she passed it on to me, that when he entered the school, there I was. Mom. And I was standing there under a statue of Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Be rooted and built up and established, Jesus. Those are the things that will keep you from being taken. So then, 
You're going to have this verse memorized because refer it to it a lot. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So the first thing to do, and if you want to pin this down, kind of your uh, sermon notes that are there. The first thing to do is to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And a verse, if you want to write this down to a great verse that describes this all in, in, in one uh, packed explanation is in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. And it says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. So if you have the Son, you have life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. Eternal life in heaven. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's eternal life, but it's eternal life in hell eternally separated. And then the verse goes on to say, and I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so you may know that you have eternal life. Have the Son of God. You can know. You can know that you have eternal life. So that's number one, is to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Number two is submit to Jesus' Lordship. Or phrase another way, continue to live as if he's Lord. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. See, too often, too often people want to experience all the benefits of salvation. Without the responsibility, the necessity of submitting to his lordship. Take, for example, Jesus' words, his response to the woman caught in the act of adultery. They're alone at this point. Jesus asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, said then neither do I condemn you. And Jesus then declared, go now. What? Leave your life sin. Then neither do I commend you, or neither do I condemn you. That's salvation. Go now. Leave your life of sin. That's submitting to his lordship. A faith that both saved and helps you to stand firm against Satan's schemes, requires both receiving Christ's salvation and submitting to his lordship. Accepting Christ's salvation, submitting to his lordship, continue to live as if. Verse 6 again, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, Rooted and built up in him. Take a look at this image. 
I like this image because it, because it has what we're talking about all encapsulated in one image. You see there's Jesus. He's the rock. He's the foundation. You see the roots kind of spell out faith, if you can tell. You got the faith, the roots sprouted down in him. And from that, the tree grows up, is, is built up, and it's strong. And then the leaves, it overflows with thankfulness. So we're going to break that down. But before I do that, you might want to write in on your, your sermon notes, Luke chapter 8, verse 14. Because in that is a response to a parable that Jesus shared, an explanation where he talked about the seed that fell on different types of soil. So in Luke chapter 8, verse 14, he says that the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart. You are good through Jesus Christ. The honest heart is like that, uh, that tax collector and when Jesus is, is talking about this, you had the Pharisee who was, who was so busy telling God how lucky God is to have him on his team. But Jesus said the one who left justified that day was the one that all he could do was not even look up to heaven and say, Lord, forgive me, for I am a sinner. He says that's the one who left justified that day. That honest heart. First John 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness and be good through Jesus Christ. And for those who hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance, our faith has to be rooted in Jesus. He is our foundation. Jesus is our rock. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Jesus is our foundation for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. You remember that story of the wise and foolish Builders, of the one who uh, built his house on rock and one who built his house on the sand. And, you know, myself, I'm kind of a beach bum kind of guy. I'm not a mountain man. I, I enjoy just lazing all day by the, by the beach. And, you know, it's my wife's dream, and so it's my dream someday, you know, to have a house by the beach. Not that one that's there on the right, but to have a nice house on the beach. <laughs> But Jesus tells the story and he goes on and he, and he says this. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house 
on the sand. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You notice the winds and the waves and the tragedies and the difficulties of life fell upon both of them. Both of them alike equally. The wise builder, the foolish builder, rains came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. But one of them remained standing, and it was the one who was wise because he heard Jesus' words and put them into practice. That's the distinction that makes all the difference. It's hearing God's word, putting it into practice, living it out. So these particular skills, well, or steps, the first one is receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Second, submit to Jesus' Lordship. Continue to live as if He's Lord. Be rooted and built up in Jesus. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Strengthened in the faith, or also some translations have established. That word, established. And also what I like and what I think is cool is, is let me tell you about a couple uh, little apps. You might have that version app that's in your, that you have on your phone. It's got the Bible of many different translations. Also, you might not be familiar with another app called the Blue Letter Bible. There's also a website, but I love the app because you can have like a Bible verse. You go, hey, I, well, I wonder what, what that means. And so you click on it, and then a little window opens up, and you can, you can have your little study right there. Well, in one of those resources, it talked about that the Holy Spirit, through Paul, in an effort to connect with the different type of people that made up the church in Colossae, uh, kind of connected with the different occupations of the people in that church. Because you, you could probably guess rooted. It all kind of means the same. They all kind of build upon each other. They're all connected, but the idea of rooted appeals to those people from a agricultural background the built up the original word is actually an architectural term and the word that we have strengthened or also established is a legal term just thought that was kind of neat the holy spirit's efforts through paul to connect with the hearts of the people that made up that congregation establish that idea you establish you make residence gotta say it was a good day it was a good day when we finally got her kentucky driver's license you no, know, that, just that we're, 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 we're home. We're home. Established residence. You can get that first piece of mail to your home address, and it's got Lexington, Kentucky. Oh, you feel good. You feel good. We didn't mind living in Michigan, but we're glad that we're home. Establish residence. We need to be established in Christ. We're going to talk about a few other kind of sub-steps of that we, how we can be established in Jesus. And so on your sermon notes, you want to write down Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 15. I'm going to read this, and as I read it, listen to all the benefits that follow. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers... Christ gave us all these various different kind of offices or, or leadership in the church. 
For what? Teachers. Well, for what? To equip his people for works of service. So God gave us people kind of in the different leadership roles for the purpose of equipping the church to go out and serve. And so, you know, that kind of makes sense mathematically. If you know me, I don't have a math mind, and, but it makes sense to me. So I hope you make more sense to you probably. But if I go and share Christ with one person, that's addition. And they go and share Christ with one person. But if all of us are equipped and confident and go out and share Christ, and then all of them go out and share Christ, now we're talking about multiplication. Now listen to all the benefits. Listen to all the benefits if God's people are equipped and they are performing works of service. This is so that the body of Christ may be built up. I'm not needing the necessity of being built up in Christ so we're not taken. So the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If you think of a church in your past church experience that was immature and there was disunity, there probably wasn't people involved in acts of service. Let us continue. Until we all reach the unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then you will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every kind of wind of teaching. You know, you come to church and they say one thing and then you go to school and they say one thing. You become a Christian and you come to church and you hear about Jesus Christ and then you go to your philosophy class and Nietzsche and Kierkegaard and all of them say this thing and you're tossed back and forth, back and forth. And it can be exhausting and it keeps you vulnerable, makes you vulnerable of being taken away. But if you are established in Christ and being one way of being established is doing works of service And you will not be blown about here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is in Christ. Be established by being involved in works of service. Saying the truth in love. You know, I've had people here say the truth in love to me, and, 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 and I've heard it. And, and I actually had a great response from somebody in the last service of an area that I need help on. Because many of you are so good to say, stepping up and say, Lane, I want to serve, I want to serve, but, but I've dropped the ball along the process, especially after you do the background check and stuff like that. So I've, this is what I need, and maybe we could have a team of that. I need recruiters. I need recruiters. We need people to serve. We always need people to serve in children's ministry and youth ministry and else, elsewhere, first touch. But also, I need a recruiter. I need somebody that say, here's the list, have at it. You like to make phone calls, you like to do email. If that's all you want to do, that's what we need. And so I thank you. Thank you for the truth 
for the truth and love. Leslie, I just want to say, thank you for the truth and love that you're willing to speak that. You know, because that's a tough thing to do. Because I've had conversations with people, but that I would say the truth and love, they were very hard conversations. See, there's a difference between making a point and making a difference. A soundbite makes a point. But it's a long, hard conversation. It makes a difference. And really those long, hard conversations, we're saying the truth in love and how I tell the people how much I, I love them and how much I care for them, but I'm sorry I can't help you in this area. It didn't turn out well. You know, and a lot of times you have to leave it for the Holy Spirit to kind of work in their lives as well. Maybe it actually did turn out well. Now that I think about it. But different. Involved in works of service. Speaking the truth in love. Be willing to confront. Care enough. Love enough. To confront. Have that tough conversation. Actively share your faith. God's word is so awesome. Because like, really I got to tell you kind of a side here that, I'd, you know, putting, you know, the, the, in writing the sermon or whatever, it's like you just wonder, where is it going to go? Like that taken clip. I thought, taken, oh, let's use that taken clip. And I thought, oh, no, that's not good. I'm not going to use that. And then like it later kind of came around to fit. Or I, I thought, <laughs> but actively share your faith. Listen to Philemon 6. It's Philemon just 6. It's not chapter 6 because there's no chapters in Philemon. If you're looking for a good book to read, or a Philemon doesn't have any chapters, just one. So Philemon verse 6. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. You want to understand your faith more? You want to understand and appreciate all that we have in Christ? Start sharing your faith. The more that you share, the more that you're involved in ministry, the more that your faith comes alive, the more you realize, I need to know this. I need to know this stuff. And so you look and you, and you, and you study and you search. In my experience, you know, I grew up in church. You know, I was, a, I think, fifth grader. I said, I want to be a preacher. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be the first preaching astronaut on the moon. You know, and so kind of ministry was always there. But it, when I reached my teenage years, I became so dissatisfied with church. Contemplated not going anymore. And then we made a move to Lexington. And I, I got to pick the church that we went to. And the distinction, the difference of that church was because that church had gotten involved in doing works of service. I got involved in ministry. I got involved in sharing my faith. And my faith came alive as a result. Personally, I know the difference that getting established in Jesus can do. We know what it means to be established in Jesus. But the whole phrase is, be established in the faith that you were taught. 
Now you think about the book of Revelation and to one of the churches that Jesus writes, he says to them to return to their first love, to do the things that they once did. Jesus' accusation against that church was that he was no longer their first love. Do the things that you once did. Remember when you became a Christian and why you did it, why you made that decision. And listen to this. I'm reading from Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, and it's uh, Paul's explaining to this great church, the, the church of Colossae was an incredible church, but he's reminding them of what they experienced. He says, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learn it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. Colossae is an awesome example because Paul must have equipped Epaphras. Epaphras goes out. Paul has never seen these people in his life. They're disciplined and they're firm in their faith. He's just encouraged, Paul's just encouraging them. What is this gospel or good news they were taught? It is the fact that God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. For God was pleased to have His fullness dwell in Jesus and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. Now that's a big if. We're going to return to it in a second, but this is a big if. Free from accusation if continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. You're firm. You're established. You're not giving up. You're not giving Satan any ground. Take out your sermon notes there. I don't think I left you the right number of blanks in some of them, but I, I want you to fill it out because I want you, I was like, kind of, oh, I left that out. Okay. But these are the things that through Christ Jesus, through faith in Christ, these are the things that he has done for us and through us. We have been rescued. We have been brought into Jesus' kingdom. We have received redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. We have been reconciled too, and, at, and we are at peace with God. We've been made Holy, without blemish, free from accusation. And we have hope. After seeing all that Jesus has done for us, what possibly could be a proper response? I'm glad you asked. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith, established in the faith as you were taught, and finally, overflowing with 
thankfulness. What does overflowing thankfulness look like? Imagine with me that you just had a whole box of uh, salting crackers. Actually, I don't know why we serve animal crackers here instead of saltines. That was kind of the the go-to that I was in church, was uh, children's church. We had uh, saltines. I guess maybe that's all you had then. I don't know. So just imagine you've had your fill of saltines and you want to drink water. This is thankfulness. Would that satisfy? I think so. Is that overflow? Is that overflowing with thankfulness? Is that overflowing, Corey? Is that overflowing? Is that overflowing with, with thankfulness? Glass half empty or half full? No one wants to answer. Okay. But it's not overflowing with thankfulness. Is that overflowing? Now that's overflowing thankfulness. What does overflowing thankfulness sound like? It sounds like you praying, your God, Jesus Christ. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for bringing me into Jesus' kingdom. Making me royalty in your name. Thank you, Jesus, for redeeming me. That means to buy back. Jesus bought you back from the power of hell by his life. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Thank you, Jesus, for finding me worthy enough to reconcile me with God so I can be at peace with God, the creator and sustainer of the universe. Thank you, Jesus, for making me holy. Thank you, Jesus, for making me without blemish, free from accusation. Thank you, Jesus, that I hope. What does overflowing thankfulness sound like? Well, it sounds like the doxology. You remember it? Sing it along with me. It goes something like, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. What what overflowing thankfulness sounds like. Because if we don't overflow with thankfulness, if we don't overflow with gratitude, then we become grateful. We don't appreciate all Christ has done for us. Now, early on, I mentioned that we would come back to the, the big if. If you continue in your faith, 
established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. All the things that we talked about, the being rescued and brought into Jesus' kingdom and redemption and without blemish and hope, all of that is contingent if you stay firm in the Lord. You continue in your faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So that means you need to practice these set of skills in order to not be taken. Receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Submit to Jesus' Lordship. Continue to live as if He's Lord. Be rooted and built up in Jesus. Be established in Jesus. Overflow with thankfulness. Finally, be strong. Be faithful. Close with that in a second. But the men are, have taken you know, their places, and we're going to be taking communion in a second. And we get to each and every week take time to stop, to reflect on our life, to see how we, how we doing, Lord. Are we living as if you're Lord? Are you my Savior? We get to thank Jesus for everything that he's done for us. We remember Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. When we take of the, the bread that represents his body, his body that was broken and hung on the cross, then we take that cup and we drink that to remember how Jesus, is, how Jesus shed his own blood so that we might receive the forgiveness of sin. And this is where the past, present, and the future all combine in this glorious moment where we remember what Jesus Christ did for us. We reflect on how, are we, how we're living for him today and then we in, anticipate the future because since he's alive, that means he is coming back again someday. Get to remember Jesus. But what if you have not received Jesus Christ yet as your Lord and Savior? Then when Tim is standing over there underneath the cross and he's there to begin a conversation with you. If you're not quite yet at the point of maybe wanting to talk to somebody, fill out the back of your card, place it in the offering plate when it is passed, and you can check. I'd like to know more about Jesus. John will follow up with you. So you can talk more about being Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior so you won't be taken. Finally, be strong, be faithful. And I'm going to be reading a stanza and after each stanza and I pause, I want you to shout out, be strong. Let's practice. Ready? Be strong. Oh, that was weak. Do it again. Ready? Be strong. One more time. We are not here to play, to dream, to drift. We have hard work to do and loads to lift. Shun not the struggle. Face it. Tis God's gift. Say not the days are evil. Who's to blame? And fold the hands and acquiesce. So shame. Stand up. Speak out. And bravely in God's name, be strong. It matters not how deep Entrench the wrong, how hard the battle goes, the day how long. Faint not, fight on, tomorrow comes the song. Be strong. Let us pray. Dear God, Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for making us strong in Christ Jesus. You have done so much for us. 
And Lord, I know sometimes I think it's just an excuse that we talk about how complicated God's word is. But Lord, today it's, it's painfully clear. Kind of lets us know what's at stake. Father, we don't want to be taken. Father, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be established in you, rooted in you in our foundation, and built up in you. Lord, may we continually overflow thankfulness. Father, at this time, I pray, Lord, that just thank you again Jesus did for us. And we remember you, Jesus, in the, in the uh, taking of the communion. We remember you, Jesus, in the time of our offering as well. Example of a way to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus' name.